listening to the Living Room North Living Room North Living Room North podcast. If we haven't met yet, my name is Lauren, and I am really excited to be here tonight with you as we're kicking off this brand new series called Bounce Back. Um, I am really excited about this series because I. Um, I speak in transit and inside out and TLR and you will be sent content. You'll kind of get an outline of what they want you or the direction they want you to go and then you can fill in all the rest. And by far, this is some of the most thorough content I've ever received. The TLR team has been working so hard on this series. They've been working alongside mental health professionals. Uh, Heath and Chelsea have both written content for this series and guys, it is so Good, and so I'm excited about tonight, but I'm really, really hopeful that y'all will come back for the rest of the series because your team has worked incredibly hard on this content, and I am just really honored to get to be a part of it. So we're going to dive in uh, to bounce back, and the reason, one of the reasons why I'm excited about this content is because I think it's so important for us to talk about emotions all the time in every stage of our life, but especially in transitional seasons, which as you're probably feeling, college is a pretty big one because you went from having a little bit of freedom in high school, but really not much because you would go to school every day for eight hours, which is crazy, right? Like that's insane. I talk to students in transit and inside out and they tell me like, yeah, school starts at 7.45. I'm like, there's no way. There is no way I could be learning at 7.45 in the morning. But you go to school early in the morning, you're there till like four, all day, you go home, you have homework, or you have chores, you have extracurricular activities, and then you do it all over again the next day. And you do that five days in a row, and then you get to your weekend, and it's kind of, yeah, it's yours, but it's really your parents, if we're being honest. You know, they wake you up, they're like, time to pull weeds outside, and you're like, what? It's Saturday. Uh, And so you really didn't have a ton of freedom in high school, but then you get to college, and you get a lot of freedom pretty quickly, right? Like, it's within a couple months, you go from having this routine and this life and this amount of freedom to now your schedule's up to you, who you hang out is up to you, your job is up to you, whether you show up to your job is up to you, whether you show up to class is up to you, if you study, it's up to you. And so you go from having a little bit of freedom to a lot of freedom, and with that big change comes a lot of big emotions and a lot of big feelings to work through, and sometimes we just don't talk about them. And we shove them under a rug and we keep moving forward, and eventually they will bubble up and we'll get into some trouble. So I'm excited about this series because we can talk about that, um, and especially as you're in college right now. And don't forget, while you're in college, you're also thinking about what's coming next, right? The anticipation of why you're in college, what you're trying to work for, and that alone just uh, makes my heart race, and I'm not even in college anymore. But tonight we're going to start with talking about something that probably everybody in the room, actually, not probably, everybody in the room has dealt with before. And if you think you haven't, it's probably a really mild version of it, or maybe you didn't know how to label it. But tonight, we're talking about everyone's favorite topic, anxiety. That is correct. I heard someone say it. We're talking about anxiety. Woo! But before we get started, I have a question, and I have a Dunkin' Donuts gift card on the line. So, I know, now you're interested. According to a recent Pew Research study, they found what is the most underlined passage in the Bible. Any guesses? First person to get it correct gets a Dunkin' Donuts. What do we say? 
It is. Do not be anxious about anything. Did you read my notes? <laughs> She's one of my friends. Congrats, Hannah. She's saying, come on. You're going to make me hold on to it? Okay. <laughs> Give it up for Hannah. She was right. And she said she didn't know, so we're going to believe her. This is the most underlined passage in the Bible. It's Philippians 4, 6. Has anyone heard this? Show of hands. You've heard this verse before? Yep. It is. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. It goes on, verse 7. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That is the most underlined passage in the Bible. Not John 3, 16. Not John 10, 10. But this, which tells us something about the world we live in, that when people go to scripture, they're looking for something that talks about anxiety. Because we all have dealt with anxiety. And the reason why we're starting the series tonight with this topic is because, and I usually try to not have my notes with me, uh, but because I have anxiety. I wanted to bring my notes uh, because I care, like I said, I care a lot about this content. They worked really hard on it and I just don't want to botch it. So I brought my notes with me because I also have some statistics that would be really embarrassing and unfortunate if I got wrong. So I'm so sorry if this is distracting to you. But the reason why we're starting with anxiety is because anxiety disorders are up 1,200% in the last four decades. That's a lot. Uh, I read in Psychology Today, and that's not a flex. I was researching for this. That's not like my normal routine is to open up Psychology Today and see what's cooking. But um, I read today that today's children, the normal child in today's world, has the same amount of anxiety as a child psychiatric patient in the 1950s. That's where we're at with anxiety. It's not just adults. It's not just teens. Our children are struggling with anxiety as well. Anxiety disorders, I'm going to get back to that, have a disclaimer in just a little bit. But anxiety disorders affect one in five adults in America. And for many, their anxiety holds them back from meeting their basic needs because so many things in their daily life can trigger this disorder. So the odds are pretty high that you or someone you know struggles with an anxiety disorder. And so if you're sitting here tonight and you're thinking, this doesn't apply to me, because I don't deal with anxiety, I don't have an anxiety disorder, there's a really, really high chance. Actually, I'm gonna guarantee that someone in your life does. And so tonight, if you're tempted to check out because you don't think this applies to you, I would really encourage you to listen to what the TLR team has worked on because there's someone in your life who is struggling with this and they could probably use some empathy and understanding. And so if anything, I hope tonight just gives you some insight. And as you sit in small group and you hear from the people around you who are struggling with this, I hope you're just willing to learn how to be a good friend, how to support the people around you. So anxiety disorders are up. So we thought we should probably start with anxiety tonight. Now here's the disclaimer. And again, I really don't want to get this wrong. The disclaimer for this talk tonight is that I'm going to talk about anxiety. I'm going to say the word anxiety a lot. What I'm referring to is the normal, everyday experiences of anxiety. If you struggle with clinical anxiety, if you have been diagnosed with an anxiety disorder, there are things in your life that a mental uh, professional, a therapist, a professional mental, what am I saying? Mental health professional. Thank you. A mental health professional, uh, needs to help you with. And so I'm, 
I'm really hopeful that you have received that help. If you haven't, I'm gonna have something for you at the end of this, but as I walk through this, I'm gonna say the word anxiety a lot, and if you are struggling with clinical anxiety, I'm not trying to be insensitive or ignorant to what you're walking through. I'm talking about the normal, everyday experiences with anxiety. So I would hate more than anything for someone to walk out of here and be like, she was super insensitive, super ignorant to anxiety. She doesn't understand, because I'm not talking about clinical anxiety. Um, I'm not a mental health professional. And I'm not even going to try to be. So tonight, as we go through this, hopefully it's still helpful for you um, as you still deal with the normal amount of everyday anxiety and you bump up against that. But when it comes to clinical anxiety and diagnosed anxiety, I'm not talking about that tonight, okay? So for me, I don't struggle with clinical anxiety. I do not have an anxiety disorder, but I deal with anxiety frequently as in right now, when I'm standing in front of a bunch of people and I realize I packed the wrong jeans to work. Don't look at them now. I um, remember my first panic attack, like it was yesterday, I was 18. I was at a dance competition. I danced through elementary school, middle school, high school, that was like my thing. And so my last performance was actually at a competition and I am pretty competitive, so I really wanted to win. It's my last time performing, last time dancing with the group of girls I had grown up with, so I really wanted us to do well. I put way too much pressure on myself. I'm making a long story short, too, by the way. We go out there, the music starts, I completely blank. It's never happened to me before. Blank on the moves. It was probably five seconds. It felt like the longest five seconds in my entire life. We finish the dance, I get off the stage, I immediately run to a bathroom, start, I'm crying, I'm so upset, I'm so mad at myself, like this is how I'm gonna end. 16 years of dance, and I'm gonna end with just butchering the dance, and I felt like I let everyone around me down. I get into the bathroom, I am sick, I'm nauseous, I'm dizzy. Uh, if you've had a panic attack, you understand that it's hard to breathe, like you're trying to take a full breath and you can't, it feels like something is sitting on your chest. Thankfully, my mom, found me in the bathroom and she has struggled with anxiety her whole life and has had panic attacks as well, so she knew quickly what it was and was able to help me walk through that. But when it's your first time experiencing a panic attack, that also adds to the panic because you don't know what is going on. And so I started counseling when I was 22. I was a senior in college and just going through a really tough season and I was interning at Brownsbridge and something, one of my favorite things, and I'm gonna talk about this later, one of my favorite things about Brownsbridge is their care for mental health. And so I was referred to a counselor, they helped support me financially so I could go to counseling and it was there that I really discovered that I was just wrestling with anxiety and so it helped me label it, it helped me identify it, identify triggers and then it helped me uh, learn how to handle it as well. But that doesn't, mean I don't ever deal with anxiety. Just as I'm backstage, I'm like, okay, we can do this. We got it. The genes were not right, but it's okay. Uh, I don't think they'll care. If they care, just don't tell me to my face. But I grew up in church, and so as you're dealing with uh, anxiety and mental health, um, shocker, some people who are hopefully well-intended in the church don't always get it right. And there were some hurtful things said to me, said to, the, said to the people around me who also struggled with stress and fear and worry and all those things. And here's some of the popular phrases I have heard or my friends heard as we grew up in the church. Um, the first one is everyone's favorite, just ignore it. Thanks, Fran, that's really helpful. Um, just ignore it. It's like when you're sad and someone's like, don't be sad. Perfect, <laughs> consider it. Done. Uh, it also reminds me of the famed One Direction song, Don't Forget Where You Belong. 
you know what I'm talking about, where they say, uh, if you ever feel alone, don't. It's perfect. Nothing I love more than a teenage pop star telling me that if you feel alone, just don't. Don't worry about it. Um, so it's just ignore it. It's all in your head anyways. Um, if you had more faith, probably wouldn't be feeling this way. Yeah, <laughs> is right. That's a tough one. Thank God for counseling. Uh, the next one, my personal favorite, God's just testing you. Okay, I'll take the F and move on. Like, I don't want to do this anymore. Um, or a classic, and I'm going to explain this one too, but the classic, have you tried praying about it? Now, here's the thing. I want to say that and then put like an asterisk next to that one. If it's like your best friend or someone who is holding you accountable, your mentor or someone, your small group leader, and you are talking a lot about something, you're getting worked up and you're getting anxious and all those feelings are happening again, and they're like, hey, have you prayed about this? That's actually helpful. That's okay. But when some random person who has no relational equity with you is like, have you tried praying about it? I gave that a Southern accent for a reason, and you know it. Um, it's not helpful. You're like, okay, no, well, let me try. I don't know. Um, or maybe, maybe they get a little crazy, and they actually use Philippians 4, 6 through 7 against you. You know, well, the Bible says, don't be anxious. So have fun in hell. Like, <laughs> we say these things and it makes people's anxiety 10 times worse because now they think their afterlife has just been impacted by a normal human emotion. And so those things that have been said to me or said to the people around me, and I, I remember walking away thinking like, is God testing me? Is God disappointed in me that I'm struggling with anxiety? Is this, is this wrong? Is this sinful? And it's not. And so if you have been told any of those things by people who do not have any relational equity in your life, or maybe they do and it was not well intended, I am so sorry. Because unfortunately, and this is why uh, Brownsbridge, TLR, why we think talking about mental health is so important is because when we hear those lies around mental health, it doesn't just impact our view of mental health, it impacts our view of God. If I believe that every time I deal with anxiety, God is disappointed in me, that's going to really hurt my view of God. And so when we have people around us who are struggling with these things, we have to be so careful with the words we say because I believe that our mental health and our faith are tied together. And how we view mental health will ultimately impact how we view our Heavenly Father. So tonight, my hope is that we can cover a couple of things around anxiety and stress and worry and kind of figure out what God thinks about it. And also, I want to help you give you some tools, because unfortunately, we can't eliminate these things they will be with us for the rest of our life. We will go through seasons with, when they are more prevalent than others, but I believe we can manage them. And so that's what we're gonna talk about tonight. And what I have learned to be true about anxiety is this, is that the presence of anxiety is unavoidable, but the shackles of anxiety are not required. The presence of anxiety is unavoidable because we live in a culture, we live in a world that is overwhelmed. 
We make decisions all day long. While I was dabbling in psychology today, I also found that the average adult makes 35,000 remotely conscious decisions every single day. 35,000 decisions are going through your brain all day long. That's exhausting. And what's really interesting is since the pandemic, our decision-making has changed. Critical thinking is on the decline because now we approach decisions with more of a survivor mentality. We gotta be quick, we gotta make decisions fast because for, let's say, I mean, most of 2020, we had to. And people's lives were on the line. Our health, our family's health were on the line. And so we were making decisions at a rapid pace. And since then, the critical thinking has dipped because now, instead of thinking about what's the best solution, we just try to think of what's the first one that will work. And I will move that way. And that actually leads us to making more decisions all day long because, well, that may not work or we need to think through something else because we didn't think critically at the start of it or now we just have more time to take on more decisions because we're not spending as much time uh, thinking critically. And if we're making decisions all day long, that's gonna bring some stress. That's gonna bring some anxiety. We're not just a culture that's overwhelmed, we're also overcommitted. You know this, you're incredibly busy right now. You will be busy for the rest of your life. We have jobs to go to, we have classes to attend, we have friends to see, we have deadlines to meet. We have so much going on, and we still have to sleep at some point. And we have too much in our schedules, and we don't know what to say no to, and we want to do everything, and we have overcommitted ourselves. But we also live in a world that is constantly moving. Everybody's overcommitted. And we're going to the next thing, into the next thing, into the next thing. And so we're a culture that's overwhelmed, overcommitted, and we are certainly overexposed. We're seeing too much. We don't need to see half the things we see. I saw um, uh, a video on TikTok the other day that should not have been posted to TikTok. And it was, I mean, this is gonna ruin the vibe. Um, it was someone dying and it had been posted to TikTok, the entire thing, and I didn't know what I was seeing. So I just kept watching and all of a sudden I'm watching a gruesome thing happen to a human being and I cannot unsee it. And I didn't need to see it. We are seeing things we should not be seeing. We are spending too much time looking at content. You know this, our phones are going off all the time. We can pick it up and immediately see 10,000 things and it doesn't stop. And then because we're on social media so much, because we're online so much, the comparison trap that some of us think we're above, that we're not falling into is prevalent. And so we're seeing what we think we should be, where we think we should be. Well, now I'm overwhelmed. Now I'm gonna try to catch up and I'm overcommitted and the cycle continues. We are overwhelmed, we are overcommitted, and we are overexposed. And those things are on the rise because unfortunately, we can't get rid of those things. It's the world we live in. And we, we could pare down and we could say no, and we can have boundaries and we should, but unfortunately, 
the world's just going to keep moving. And so if these three things are on the rise, of course, stress, anxiety, and fear are on the rise as well. So the question is, how can we remain healthy mentally and emotionally in a world that is stressed, anxious, and plagued by fear? You see, anxiety uh, is the future tense of trauma. Anxiety is when we think about things that haven't happened, or we think about the worst case scenario to things that are currently happening. And I think for a lot of us, the opportunity for anxiety to pop up is most likely in our runaway thoughts. When we start to spiral, when things get out of control, when we overthink, uh, I have learned that when my alarm goes off, I've got to get out of bed because if I stay there and I just think about the day to come, all of a sudden I'm having a fake argument with someone that I'm fine with. Has that ever happened to you where you're like in the shine and you're like, and you know what, another thing. And you're like, I'm fine with this person. Like I don't have any problem with them, but I have worked up a whole scenario in my head about how they hate me and I have my case ready for that. And it's like, what, where did, how did we get there? What just happened? And we have these thoughts that spiral out of control. I mean, my favorite one is every year I do my taxes. I somehow convince myself I'm going to jail. Like, this is the year. <laughs> I mean, every year I somehow make it, but I am concerned for next year. So I tell myself every time, I'm like, well, you know, TurboTax, thank you for your help. Uh, I will be in prison shortly. And my thoughts just get out of control. And I, I, sometimes I can't even track, like, how we even got there to begin with. And when it comes to these runaway thoughts, we have to be able to know what's going to trigger it, how we're going to get there, so we can help ourselves manage them before they spiral. Because as you know, sometimes these runaway thoughts go so far that it takes us days or weeks or months to ground ourselves again. Uh, has anyone heard of this cognitive behavioral therapy? Okay, a few people. Are y'all psych majors? <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> Cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, I appreciate your honesty. You don't have to offer that information to me if you didn't want to, but I really appreciate the vulnerability. I'm going to keep that safe. Um, if you're in a psych class, you've probably heard of this. I think it's really helpful when we're talking about anxiety, when we're talking about our runaway thoughts. Uh, if you don't know what it is, here's a diagram of it. Um, CBT, CBT. It's basically this. It says that our thoughts become our feelings, which become our actions, which become our results, our behaviors would be another word. And so when we think about our runaway thoughts, let's say we have a runaway thought that then turns into our feelings, which is anxiety. I have the thought that my taxes are wrong and I'm going to go to jail. That leads me to anxiety, which then leads me to an action. I'm going to live in fear that the IRS is coming after me. Then it's going to bring me to the result, the behavior of every single year I do my taxes, I'm going to go through this same cycle. That's a very silly example, by the way. But that's, that's what's happening, is that a runaway thought will turn into your emotions, your emotions then dictate your actions, and then your actions dictate your behavior. And a lot of times when we have these negative emotions from these runaway thoughts, the action that comes out of that is actually a coping mechanism. And then that could turn into a behavior 
that could be potentially very destructive. And so if we're not careful with our thoughts, things are going to run out of control. And the truth is, is that what we feel is often a reflection of what we think and a precursor to how we live. What we feel is a reflection of what we think and a precursor to how we live. So when it comes to trying to manage the everyday anxiety, we have to start with how we think. So we're actually going to go back to Philippians 4.6, the verse we used at the top. And some context for this is that Paul was uh, writing a letter to the church of Philippi, and he was actually in prison, which, like I said, the thought of jail gives me anxiety. I can only imagine the feelings once you're in jail. But he is writing this from a prison cell to a church, and he's offering encouragement to them. And again, this is what he says in Philippians 4, 6, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. He goes on, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a great passage. It's my mom's favorite. I grew up hearing that all the time. It's a great passage, but I think a lot of times, People, when they're struggling with anxiety, when they're looking for uh, advice and wise counsel in scripture, they read that and they read the part that's like, don't be anxious. Like, okay, well, I'll try not to. But, and they miss out because they stop at verse seven, but verse eight, we can actually find the how. And so Paul goes on and he says this in verse eight, finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. So verse 6 is saying, don't be anxious. And verse 8 is giving a solution on how to manage the anxiousness, how to manage the anxiety. And a lot of times with our thoughts, here's here's what happens. The thought comes into our mind, we receive the thought. And then we perceive it to be reality, and then we believe it. We receive it, we perceive it, we believe it. Now, uh, here's a really silly example of this, and maybe you can resonate with this. (laughs) Not me, for sure. So, um, you see someone who you think is cute, and the thought pops in your head of, oh, Maybe I'm interested. Well, then you see them make eye contact with somebody else. And you start to perceive that mm, they're in love. It has to be true. Why else would they make eye contact? And then they keep making eye contact because they're just two normal humans having a conversation. But you've already perceived it to be your reality that they're in love. So then you believe it and you just ignore the person entirely. You ever been there? We're like, oh, cute. Oh, no. Yeah, they just looked at another girl. So I'm out. Um, The thought will come into our mind. We receive it. We find some way to validate it and perceive it as reality. And then we believe it and we internalize it. But back to Philippians 4.8, what Paul says is, actually, what you should be thinking about is whatever is true. Whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, those are the things we should be thinking of. And the message version, I love how it says this here. It says, summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true 
noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. But a lot of times, because we're just receiving it, perceiving it, believing it, we're thinking about things that aren't true, that aren't right, that aren't noble, that aren't admirable. And so if we were to take Paul's approach, I think the right way to do this would be to receive it, research it, and if it is proven to not be true, right, admirable, noble, any of those things, to replace it. You receive the thought, you do some research as to see if it's even true, and if it's not, you replace it with something that is. So for example, you fail an exam, you see the grade, you receive the thought that I am a failure, and you perceive it to be true. And when you perceive it, it changes how you approach every test, every class, every homework assignment, it even changes how you um, approach your job, because you have decided to perceive that you are a failure, and then it goes on for so long that you believe it, you internalize it to be true, and then you're not even trying anymore. You're failing your classes, you drop out of school, because you have taken a lie and perceived it and believed it. But if we use Paul's approach, you still receive the failed test, but instead of, uh, sorry, then you receive the thought that you're a failure, but instead of perceiving that to be reality, you do some research. You find that the class average was a 65. So the classic like, oh, that was bad, but it wasn't that bad. And you realize, oh, I wasn't prepared for this. This class is hard, this professor is tough, I didn't ask questions, I didn't study at all. I actually stayed up too late the night before, but now I know what to expect next. And so you receive the thought, I'm a failure, you research it, you remind yourself, you're not, you have a 3.2, you just failed a test, it's okay. There were a lot of factors at play here. And then you decide to replace the thought with, I will just try again, and I will try harder, and I will actually prepare because I'm not a failure. But maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, well, that sounds really easy, but it's not. And you're right, it's not. Especially when we've been believing lies for years, which some of us have. But today, tonight, if you hear anything, I hope you hear this reminder that you were made in the image of a God who feels. You are made in the image of a God who feels, and it's so evident through God's son, Jesus. Because Jesus came to earth as a human, and he experienced every emotion we ever have, and we ever will. Hebrews says this in chapter 4, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin goes on, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Jesus experienced every emotion we ever will and some we haven't experienced because he knew he had to die. And when you read the passages of Jesus in the garden before he died, the feelings he felt were so intense 
Scripture says he, would, he felt anguished. He felt despair. He asked God for another way. He felt every emotion we have ever felt. But here's the thing. He never let them drive the bus. He felt the emotions. They did not boss him around. They were part of his story. They were not his story. And the same is true for you that, yes, emotions are something you will face. Anxiety is something you will face, but it is not who you are. Emotions are part of you. They're not you. They're not your identity. They're part of your story. They're not your whole story. And so when we're talking about this idea of replacing thoughts, and that's so complicated because I can't because they're ingrained in my mind, you are not alone. And you're not just comforted by a God who doesn't care or who is testing you and wants to see if you can figure it out yourself. You're comforted by a God who understands every feeling you will ever have because he wired you with emotions. He made us this way, not to laugh at us, not to play games with us, but because he knew that he could understand and he could empathize with every feeling we have. So you are not alone. But in our day-to-day, what do we do? When we start to feel that anxiety bubble up and we remind ourselves we're not alone, that we have a God who loves us, who is for us, some practical things we can do to help. Well, I um, heard that anxiety hates action. Actually put this way, anxiety doesn't like activity. And this was said by Dr. Chinway Williams, who helped write this content. Anxiety does not like activity. So when you don't try to fight it, it's just going to grow. And so if you're letting anxiety, stress, fear, whatever it is, drive the bus, and you're not trying to get the steering wheel back, you will likely feel stuck because it's just gonna keep driving. And so the best thing we can do is get rid of the ants, the automatic negative thoughts. The best place we can start is here. With the everyday anxiety when it bubbles up is to try to get rid of the automatic negative thoughts. So those thoughts that pop up in your mind immediately, that are triggered by something, and the first thing we need to do is we need to question them. And I'm so sorry, guys, the Zaxby's, I can literally feel part of the chicken tender. I'm so sorry. You know, you ever eat like a Nature Valley granola bar? Uh, Yeah, and you're like, well, I guess I'm just gonna taste Nature Valley granola bars for three days. So the first thing that we need to do is we need to question them, the ants. So thought pops in your head. The first thing we need to do is we need to question Is it true? That's the best place to start, right? Is it even true? I have a friend who um, I love so much, and just uh, last week, over the weekend, I was telling her something like, you know, I'm feeling this sort of way about this thing, and uh, the story my brain is writing, which is a great Brene Brown uh, line to use of the narrative my brain is trying to write, is this, fill in the blank. And she said, hey, is that true? Like, has that been proven? I was like, no, it hasn't. It's just there. And so the best thing we can do is when those thoughts pop in our head is we have to figure out if they're true 
or not. The classic, you text your friend, they don't text you back. And the immediate, well, guess I lost one. Uh, they hate me. I did something. I'll never know. Oh my gosh, what if it was this one thing? And we overthink and the, the thoughts start to run away and we spiral. And then they're like, hey, I was just at work. And you're like, oh, <laughs> wow. I mean, I like deleted all of our pictures on Instagram already. That's crazy. <laughs> if we don't question... And if we don't do the research to find if things are true or not, we're going to get in a lot of trouble. And so that's the first thing. When those ants pop up into your head, you got to question them. The second thing is you got to replace them. We have to replace them with truth. So truth from scripture, truth from wise counsel around you, truth from your small group leader, truth from a mentor, a podcast that points you back to truth, worship music, if we are not filling our mind with truth, it's going to be really, really hard to replace these thoughts. And so we have to constantly be refreshing our mind, renewing our mind with truth so that we're prepared when these thoughts pop into our head. The third thing we have to do is we have to dismiss them. You have permission to dismiss the thoughts. Levi Lesko um, talked about this one time, and he used a great illustration of TSA. You know, you're going through TSA and you're stressed, right? You're taking the belt, the shoes, the whole thing, and you're like trying to move fast. And they're like, take your laptops out. And it's just really overstimulating at six in the morning. And you're trying, you're moving, and you see the scanner. It's scanning everyone's belonging. And when some, oh, your bag gets pulled, you know, it goes down the different chute. And you're like, oh, no. Um, and they take something out and there's something in your bag. It was just an accident that you can't bring on the plane. What do they do with it? Yeah, they keep it. They throw it out. They get rid of it. It's not going on the plane. And when it comes to our thoughts, you have full permission to not let things on the plane. You have full permission to toss them, to get rid of them. I love kitchen nightmares. And when Gordon Ramsay walks into a, kitchen, or to a restaurant and they send him all this food, he doesn't like it. It's going back. It's not staying with him. He's getting rid of it. And when it comes to these negative thoughts, you are allowed to get rid of them. It doesn't have to be there. And ever since I heard that uh, illustration from Levi Lesko, I think about it all the time when a thought pops into my head. I'm like, I'm just, I know. I got to toss it. God, help me lose this. Help me throw this away. I don't want to think about this. I don't want it making it onto the plane. And so we have to take into account every thought that goes through our brain. And we get to decide if it's making it through or not, and you are allowed to toss it. And the last thing we need to do is we need to fight them. And ways we can do this is with accountability. I mean, my friend, just the example of that, if I'm telling her something and she stops me and she's like, wait, that's not true. What about this is true? We have to have accountability, but in order to do that, we also have to be willing to be vulnerable, which I know isn't everyone's favorite. But I promise you, if you have someone in your life who is able to say to you, hey, before you let that on the plane, before you decide to believe it, it is not true. So you have to be willing to be vulnerable and be held accountable. Another thing I think that helps when it comes to finding these is put your phone away. We cannot be constantly inundated with content, with comparison, with fears, with worries, it's not going to help. It's actually just going to give you more negative thoughts. And so we've got to have boundaries around it. And it's so hard, and I know that. 
But I think it's so important when it comes to getting rid of these automatic negative thoughts. And the last two things I think we need to do when it comes to fighting them, um, and you don't have to do this, but maybe you would like to, you're going to hear more about this in a little bit, but one of the programs Brownsbridge offers, all of our campuses offer it, it's called Renew, and it's one-on-one mentorship. And you go through content that is so helpful at replacing those lies that we have internalized, that we have believed for so long. I went through Renew years ago. I think about it all the time. It was so helpful. I'm so close um, to my mentor. I'm so grateful for her. And it's an incredible program, and it's free. So I highly recommend if you are someone who's like, hey, I'm really struggling with replacing these. I can't get rid of them. I would look into Renew. Um, I'm a big believer in it. I think it's really, really helpful. And the second thing is maybe you're sitting here and you're thinking, I think it might be time for me to speak to a health professional, to a mental health professional. It might be time to see a counselor, to see a therapist um, who can help you kind of unpack why the anxiety is so rampant, why, what is triggering it, and how to handle it. And at Brownsbridge, we actually offer counseling referrals as well. We can help you get paired with a counselor. We can help you financially. And so you're going to hear more about that again from Heath. But I think if you're sitting in here and you're thinking, this is fine. The talk is fine. Her genes are awful, but it's fine, whatever. I need some serious, legitimate help. I would definitely look into it. Um, You would work with our care team here at Brownsbridge who are amazing, and they would help you get paired with someone who really cares for you and cares for your mind and cares for your mental health. So those are just some ways you can fight these automatic negative thoughts. But again, we're going to be in the series for the next two weeks. I really hope you come back. Um, I mean it when I say that I think this content is incredible. Um, Heath and Chelsea and the rest of the TLR team did a great job with it. And so uh, you would be remiss um, to not be here the next two weeks.